This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Hoist the Colors podcast, our preview edition for the upcoming game against South Carolina. The Pirates returning home to Daddy Ficklin Stadium for the first time since 2020 when they took down the SMU Mustangs and for the first real home game since the 2019 season when they closed that year against the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. I'm Stephen Igo, the host of this podcast, the publisher of hoistthecolors.net, a few days away from kickoff, about 48 hours away from kickoff as we record this early Thursday afternoon. We've got a lot to discuss, key players to watch, keys to victory, can the Pirates get it done against, against an SEC team for the first time since 1997, and we'll go over some of the Pirates' past games against SEC foes, including South Carolina. How can they get over the hump? We'll talk about that. We've also got a lot of questions on the Hoisted Colors message board. I was said to be joined by Sam Anderson, former Hoisted Colors contributor. Uh, we ended up both having fantasy drafts last night that we forgot about. So we ended up having to postpone that. We'll get Sam on at a later date. Uh, so we will be previewing the the ECU game on the Hoisted Colors podcast here over the next 30 to 45 minutes with a lot to discuss. You know, you look at this matchup, and it's really interesting on both sides. A lot of uncertainty on both sides. I think on East Carolina side, a lot of people expected the Pirates to play better in the opener. They did not play great. They did have a few big plays go against them. Either way, Appalachian State looked like the much better team all the way around, except maybe on special teams where the Pirates looked very good. But offensively and defensively, there were issues. A lot to clean up. ECU feels like they are fixable. Are they fixable in one week? Can't ECU correct enough to take down South Carolina this weekend? Is Appalachian State really that good? You know, we'll find out a lot about that when they take on Miami this coming Saturday. Of course, we'll know the result of the East Carolina game versus South Carolina at that time as well. So we should have a much better picture of what ECU exactly is by the end of Saturday. Even if App State goes down to Miami and performs well, and ECU finds a way to beat South Carolina, all of a sudden the doom and gloom crowd uh, kind of backs off a little bit. But So a lot to prove on ECU side, which Mike Houston talked about after Wednesday's practice. On South Carolina side, they have a lot to prove as well. Yeah, they're from the SEC, but they were pretty bad last year. They were pretty bad the year before that. They're vulnerable, at least on paper. If you're going to beat an SEC team, if you're East Carolina, this would appear to be a year to do it. First-year head coach and Shane Beamer, who once interviewed for the ECU job at the end of the 2015 calendar year, wanted this job badly, did not get it, went to Scotty Montgomery instead, and now he is at South Carolina after spending time as an assistant at Georgia and Oklahoma. So I'm intrigued to see how Shane Beamer does long-term. I think he is a sleepier, 
a sleeper good hire. I think he's got a chance to really build uh, a strong culture at South Carolina. He's got the pedigree with his family. He's been in a lot of successful programs. So I think he will ultimately do a good job there. I also think South Carolina has some weaknesses that ECU can take advantage of. And we'll talk about that as this podcast moves along. So, again, lots of uncertainty, and that's maybe why you've seen the betting line shift so much. South Carolina opened as a, I want to say, a three-point favorite. Then it quickly shifted to ECU minus four in terms of ECU being favored. And now back to South Carolina by a point or two, I believe, as of this morning. So, I don't don't know if anybody really knows what to expect in this game. I, I think what we do expect is a close competitive game, and I think either side would be disappointed if their team loses by a couple touchdowns. So I personally expect a game that could go either way. A lot of it, as most close games do, will come down to stopping the run, running the football, turnovers, explosive plays, execution. So I I really do see this as a very winnable game for ECU, and I think South Carolina, they probably feel like they're the SEC. They should be able to come in here and bully ECU around. That's likely what they'll try to do on Saturday. ECU is going to have to stop them in order to find a way to win, especially in the running game uh, defensively. they got to find a way to make South Carolina's quarterback, whoever it is, prove that they can go out there and beat ECU in the passing game, whether it's Luke Doty, Zeb Nolan, even the St. Francis transfer Brown, whoever they throw out there, again, most likely Doty or Nolan. Uh, None of those guys have you know, come into a, a venue like this with the capacity crowd or near capacity crowd, because right now we're expecting a uh, a filling in the low forty thousands of the fifty thousand seat stadium, so not quite capacity based on what we're hearing. But it'll be a, a very good crowd, the biggest since twenty seventeen. Uh, I think it'll be a challenging atmosphere, regardless of whoever plays for for South Carolina quarterback uh, to operate within, as long as ECU is in the game. Uh, so we got a lot of questions to get to on the Hoist of Colors message board. Let's go ahead and dive into some of those, and that will help carry us through the show as there's a lot of topics to discuss within those questions. And we'll start with number one, Berg Pirate. Of course, he's got more than one question, as he often does. He says, what are three offensive areas we need to show improvement in to beat South Carolina? Uh, well, I think the first thing is, number one, it's obvious blitz protection, blitz pickup. You cannot have the errors that East Carolina had last week and expect to hold up against an SEC front. I mean, South Carolina probably could just rush three to four guys and get to Holton Aylers with somewhat regularity in this game, but with the way Clayton White calls his defense and after seeing EC really struggle picking up pressures last week against Appalachian State, I would expect several exotic pressures on Saturday. Uh, Again, maybe he pulls the ultimate swerve and goes the opposite direction. You know, the interesting thing about this is I heard that Clayton White interviewed for the ECU defensive coordinator job, or at least was in the running, when Blake Harrell got the job back in the uh, the summer leading into, or back in the offseason leading into the 2020 season. So Mike Houston, Coach White, very familiar with one another. He was at Western Kentucky at the time. He's an NC State grad. He's a North Carolina guy. So you have some familiarity there, even though it's a new school with some new staff members underneath Clayton White, but I'll be very interested to see how exactly they plan plan to approach ECU. Either way, ECU's got to pick up the blitz better. They had like five or six busts last week against App State, led to some sacks, led to some hits on their quarterback, which can't happen. 
I mean, one or two you understand in the game, but you can't be having a handful of bust uh, against App State. I mean, that's just, quite frankly, pretty unacceptable um, up front. And so hopefully that's corrected. That's number one. Uh, the second area of improvement, I would like to see the backs get more carries, more touches, however they want to do it. Last week, Rajay Harris only had 13 combined touches, eight carries. Keaton Mitchell, I believe, had nine touches and only four carries. Now, a lot of that was dictated by the score. A lot of that in the first half was dictated by how the Mountaineers were defending ECU. But either way, the Pirates got to find a way to get the ball in their running back's hands as much as possible. I thought they did a good job in the passing game last week. But you still got to find a way to get them involved overall, especially in the running game. ECU's just got too much talent at running back to uh, only have 12 combined carries for those two guys. Third thing offensively, you know, I would say just the overall play of the quarterback position. Holton Aylers did not play bad last week. He did leave some throws on the field. I think you're going to have to have very strong quarterback play against a defense that is this talented to have a chance to win. You know, in your biggest games, your best players have to rise to the occasion. And I think Holden Aylers has to have a good game on Saturday for the Pirates to come out on top. Uh, Number two, who are some big names in the 2023 and 2024 recruiting classes besides four-star Keith Simpson that are visiting Saturday? I do not have names right now. Berg Pirate, uh, hoping to pregame on the field when I get down there about an hour, 45 minutes before kickoff to have a report on some of the other guys visiting as far as the future classes. You know, the unfortunate thing about this weekend is it's 12 noon kickoff, which makes it tough to get a lot of recruits here. If you have a 3.30 or a 7 p.m. kickoff, it's much easier to get the guys to drive over. 12 noon is tough because really they have to get to the game, you know, two hours, an hour and a half before to have some interaction with the coaching staff if they're not on official visits. So I think, obviously, Keith Sampson, the four-star from New Bern, will be coming in. There'll be a couple other New Bern guys on the radar for future classes coming in as well. It'll be interesting to see uh, who all makes it in from, from New Bern. There's also some other in-state guys on the radar. But right now, I cannot confirm any names uh, outside of Sampson. And if I get any, I'll post them on the board as we approach kickoff. Uh, he also asked, who should we blitz more, or who would we blitz more, Zeb Nolan or Luke Doty? You know, that's an excellent question. You know, I would think you would blitz Luke Doty more. You know, he's more of the dual threat, so you don't want to blitz and over-pursue and then miss a gap and he hits a home run. But at the same time, he's the younger quarterback. And in many ways, he probably is still not 100% comfortable in the offense. You know, the thing I would like about playing Doty if I'm ECU, even if he's able to go, even if he's the better player in terms of talent... He has not practiced basically fully uh, for, you know, almost probably close to a month. And he missed a good chunk of camp and he's learning uh, a new offense. So when you take those things into consideration, you wonder how comfortable Luke Doty is in this offense. So I think Zeb Nolan, he's a former GA. He played obviously at FCS. Uh, behind uh, Trey Lance, so he, he's been around. He understands offense. He was the GA, so he gets the scheme completely. He's going to make the routine throws against the blitz. Almost would think you would you would probably blitz Luke Doty more because you're not going to trick Zeb Nolan, and you're probably not going to pressure him into too many mistakes. So I would think you would blitz Doty more, but we'll see how Blake Harrell decides to play it when they tee it up at 12 noon on Saturday. Moving on to our next question, ECU Salty Dog. He says, a lot has been discussed about the tempo 
against Appalachian State. After rewatching the game, it looked like Mike Houston and company were trying to play a little bit of keep-away pace to the game. A few bad breaks really broke our momentum in the game. Do you think we will see a faster pace to this game on offense? With a rhythm, do you think we were able to move the ball against what will most likely be a bigger, faster, stronger team? Another great question. I think, yes, this is the game you would want to run tempo. You're playing at home. You're going to have momentum behind behind you. South Carolina, player for player, probably has more talent than you across the board when their defense is on the field. So in order to, to beat them, I think you got to put them on their heels. I think you have to run some tempo now. In order to run tempo, you have to get positive yardage and momentum. You can't just go out there first play of the series and, you know, run tempo, have a three-yard loss, run tempo, throw an incomplete pass, and then be in third and 15 running tempo. I mean, you have to kind of get like a first down or two. So you really need to sustain some drives early, but I would love to see ECU come out with a purpose, establish early that they're capable of running tempo. That way it kind of catches South Carolina maybe a little bit off guard, puts them on their heels. Um, that would be a great plan. Now you have to go out and do that and execute it to do that. But I would be surprised if we don't see any tempo this week. I think you don't want to get their defense able to get in and out of different looks with the uh, defense Clayton White runs. You want to try to keep them on their heels, dictate them, uh, dictate the game's tempo as much as possible when you had the ball rather than vice versa, which I thought happened last week against Appalachian State. So, uh, I do expect to see a faster pace this week, and I'll be disappointed if ECU does not uh, run a faster pace at times. They don't have to go tempo the whole game because you want to get your defense rest in a hot game. A lot of that could depend on how the game is going, but at the same time, at some point, you do have to kind of mix things up, and I I, I have a feeling we might see it this weekend. Um, another question from Salty Dog. Yes, on defense, we could not stop the run, and that also meant we had a hard time stopping the pass. Is that stretch running scheme that gashed us due to bad linebacker fits, or is this a problem that has a much deeper worry to figure out? You know, that's a, you know, I'm not a scheme expert, but I think that zone stretch scheme in general is extremely tough to stop. I thought that ECU just did not have great angles, great pursuit, they didn't get upfield enough, so they really struggled with app speed at which they ran the stretch. And I think ECU's linebackers overall are pretty fast, but for whatever reason, they look slow against app speed, which leads me to believe that app is extremely good at what they do, and they have an incredibly quick O-line. You know, the interesting thing about this matchup is South Carolina is more big up front than fast. And you look at ECU's defense, you know, they're not the biggest in the world, but they are pretty big and they are pretty fast. So I, I think this, as strange as it sounds, might be a better matchup for ECU against the run. Um, you know, they're not going to be running like that stretch play the entire game. You're going to get some more conventional runs. Now their backs are really dang good and their offensive line returns four starters. So it's not like this is going to be a cakewalk. You still got to go out there and just fight to, to stop that run. But I think we'll know if ECU again just can't stop the run this week against a completely different scheme with the same personnel on ECU's defensive side, then I think you start to get worried that you you have another year where you're just simply out, outmanned in the trenches throughout the season. And at that point, there's only so much you can do. In order to stop the run, you almost have to oversell on stopping the run and blitz the linebackers to try to make up for the lack of play up front, blitz a safety, blitz a Sam linebacker, and then that's when you start getting beat 
too often in the passing game because you're committing so much to the run. So this weekend might have to be a case where Blake Carroll at times has to sell out to stop uh, South Carolina on the ground game, and that means at times they'll probably try to play action you and hit you over the top like App State did. You know, that'll be another thing that you have to watch early in the game. Can ECU find a way to slow down that run, get them in the third long, which we, we didn't see at all last week. We saw maybe once or twice. And so it's very hard to pass rush when you're not in third and eight plus. I mean, every it seemed like every third down for App, outside of that one third and 13 they converted, was like third and three, third and five, very manageable third down. So hopefully the Pirates can come up with a few stops on first and second down to put them in some more predictable situations. Pirate Treasure NC, he has got a couple of questions. Um, any feeling insight into practice hot topics this week to come out better against South Carolina? Well, if you watch Coach Houston's press conference on Wednesday, I mean, it was clear that, you know, the time for play is over. You know, we're a couple days out from facing South Carolina at home. It's put up or shut up time. You know, he expects better from his team. The players expect better. You know, I think there's going to be a little bit of attitude from the Pirates on Saturday. You know, this is the type of game they rise to the occasion historically. Now we'll see if this team can do it. Um, you know, as far as insight into practice, I mean, I, you know, I don't know. I, I think it's, you know, everything done at practice, it, it's all good leading up to the game. You know, it gives us something to write about, talk about. But as soon as that ball is kicked off, who remembers any of it? I mean, yeah, your preparation in terms of the scheme and all that stuff. That's important in the game, but like as far as the talk, the emotions, the build-up leading into the game, it all comes down to the play on the field, and that's cliche, but it's the truth. So, you know, I try after doing this for so so often, I try not to get too wrapped in it, up in it one way or the other at this point. So I'm just ready for Saturday, and we'll see what happens. Uh, any scoops on the entrance video? Yeah, I think we saw a sneak peek. In Bank of America Stadium last week, we saw a short version of it, so expect a longer version of that. You know, I couldn't even see it because of where the press box is in Bank of America, so like I could not see the video except for a little edge of the screen because we're kind of under the overhang, so I couldn't see the video screen at the top of the stadium. So, honestly, don't have too much insight into that other than it'll be the longer version of what y'all saw last week if you were in Charlotte. Any roster move up or down of consequence heading into South Carolina? You know, just watching practice earlier this week, I didn't see any major personnel moves. I mean, you did have a couple guys out with injury. Bailey Malovic uh, obviously will be out with a, with a uh, torn ligament in his knee. So you'll see Noah Henderson start at right tackle. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, if one of those guys, Henderson or Justin Chase, ever go down, knock on wood. Um what happens at the tackle spot behind those two? Do they move him to Shad Strother out to the tackle at all? He started six games there last year at left tackle. He's now playing guard. Or do they roll with Rob Vanderlaan or Walt Stribling uh, behind the, you know, the two backups right now at tackle? That'll be something I'm interested in um, if that happens. But defensively, I noticed most of the same personnel. You know, Wouldn't be surprised if you saw more Tegan Wilk at Sam this week. He's very good against the run. He did miss a tackle last week. He should have had for a TFL. Uh, but, I, I w- you know, he's good at diagnosing plays, shooting the gap, making plays. So I think you might see some Tegan Wilk this week at Sam, especially against South Carolina's likely run-heavy approach. All right, next question, ECU Pirates backwards. Regarding offensive scheme, 
what would you like to see change from week one to week two? You know, we kind of hit on this earlier, but the main thing for me is tempo. I think with South Carolina, they're so big up front, and they're used to the heat. They practice in the heat just like ECU, but they played last week at night, as did the Pirates. But you get a lot of those big guys out there on the road. To me, the 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 best way to neutralize the talent gap in the trenches is to tire those guys out and go with some tempo offensively when their defense is on the field. Try to get them on their heels. Try to wear them out. Don't let them get lined up how they want to. Don't let them dictate the pace. You dictate the pace. I just want to see ECU's offense dictate the pace as best as possible to try and do that. So, uh, you know, we'll see if that happens. But that's the biggest change I would like to see as far as scheme and philosophy. Um, You know, scheme specifically would like to see more outside runs with Keaton Mitchell. You know, you can't just only run outside because then the defense knows what's coming when he's coming to the game. Um, But we'd just like to see more plays in space for Keaton. Same with Rajay. You know, continue to throw those guys. Uh, More jet sweep action with Josiah Hatfield. I don't think we saw that last week. He may have came in motion once or twice. Even if you don't give it to him, that action with his speed, I think gives the defense a different element. Um, He's a quarterback in the past from his high school days, so he could throw the ball as well. You know, some jet sweep action with Keaton Mitchell. Put him in the slot, jet sweep him. Again, don't have to hand it to him or throw it to him, but it gets the defense thinking every time he goes in motion. So uh, just more things like that. Moving C.J. Johnson around. Um, more Hatfield over Omotosho in a game like this for me. You know, you could say more throws to the tight end. I thought that they actually targeted the tight ends a decent amount last week. They had some play designs to go to those guys that were just covered up. So uh, I was happy with that. But uh, overall, more Hatfield, more Mitchell, more Harris, more Tempo is what I would like to see. Uh, S.E. Johnson, 0408. His question is, this is the biggest game for ECU since blank. Well, you know, not to be stupid or funny, but since last week. I mean, I really thought last week's was a a huge game for for Mike Houston, for the program. You're facing an in-state team. You're facing them on a neutral site. You have a chance to tell everybody that ECU football is back against a quality opponent. And I thought the Pirates largely didn't play well, pretty much laid an egg. So... This is a big game. This is a, a huge game. Uh, you know, I, I think last week's game was big. And so, you know, as far as this is the biggest game for ECU since blank, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like last week's game was huge as well, and ECU just didn't play well. So I think this game is very important too. I mean, if you lose this game, all of a sudden you're looking at a potential 0-3 start with the way Marshall's looking. So every time you lose, I would say that the next game, especially this early in the season, gets that much bigger. Because you don't want to go over however how many. You don't want to go over three going into Charleston Southern. You really want to come out of this stretch two and two. And right now this looks like your best chance at a win. Uh, so it is a big game. And uh, you know, as far as biggest game since, you know, I don't know what the the true answer to that is. It just a lot of it depends on how the season plays out, and maybe that is dictated by the result of this game, but. Uh, I think it's a big game. I think last week was a big game. I think last year's season opener versus UCF was a huge game. You know, la- maybe the biggest game for ECU since the two-lane game last year is the the way I would go because I feel like that two-lane game was a potential season-defining game, home contest against a middle-of-the-road 
AAC team, these few didn't play well. So hopefully the Pirates bring their A game on Saturday. Again, sorry, I don't have a great answer for you there. You know, I would say the North Carolina game in 2018 under Scotty because they were playing UNC at home, but they had just lost to North Carolina A&T the, the week before, so as important as that game was, it almost felt like the season was over after they lost to A&T, even though they came back and won. So this week's a big game, though. There's no doubt about it. All right, we got a number of more questions. Let's first take a quick commercial break. Hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Hoisted Colors podcast. We are previewing South Carolina and ECU. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. All right, welcome back on the Hoist of Colors podcast, rolling right along as we close in on game day and kick off 12 noon Eastern. On Saturday, ESPN2 is the television for the Pirates as they host the South Carolina Gamecocks' first home SEC game since 1997. Uh, Surf NC20S on the Brian Bailey Show, Donnie Kirkpatrick, the offensive coordinator, said when he was talking to his friends on the Appalachian State staff that their goal defensively was to blitz the heck out of Holton Aylers to keep him from settling in. As a result, it sounded like we were a little surprised to see them blitz that much. How do you anticipate South Carolina will approach us? Is it safe to assume that until we show that we can overcome the blitz, we'll continue to get a healthy dose of it from opposing defenses? Or in this case, do you think South Carolina will just try and rely on their size up front to get pressure on Holton? You know, I think football is is a copycat sport. You turn on the film, you see that a team struggled versus something. Usually that next opponent tries to implement the same thing. Basically, until ECU proves that it can stop the blitz or pick up the blitz, it's going to continue to see the blitz. Now, if you're South Carolina, you're probably thinking, look, we don't have to blitz the entire game. We just need to throw it at them every now and then. And you might be able to have enough success that way or throw it at them on second, second and long, third and long specific situations. And if that's the case, then maybe they only come certain situations to mix it up and don't blitz every time. Because then you become a little too predictable. I mean, ideally, even if you see a weakness on an opposing team, you don't want to just attack at every single play. You want to still mix it up and become unpredictable in your play calling. So I don't expect South Carolina to go zero blitz the entire game in terms of just all-out man coverage and bringing six, seven, eight guys. But I do expect them to blitz a lot, maybe even early, to try and set the tone or to see how ECU tries and combats that. Um, The other thing, too, is... At times, it can get you in trouble if, you, if you're if you the opposing team and you spend so much time trying to attack what a team is weak at the week before. Because typically, 
that team will go back in its week of preparation after struggling against something and really focus on, hey, we have to fix this because the next team we play is going to try and do this. And so ECU, I would assume, probably spent a ton of time this week on blitz pickup, what to do against the blitz, how to combat that, how to fix it if they see it again, all that stuff, especially since App told them that they struggled against the blitz. So I would assume ECU spent a lot of time trying to fix those issues this week. So if you're South Carolina and you come out blitzing and ECU has an answer for it, you better have a counter plan. Just like ECU, you know, Donnie Kirkpatrick said they watched film all offseason against Appalachian State and that App State's defense struggled against the counter, the run, the counter run. And well, ECU went into the game thinking it would be successful being able to pull off the counter run and it was not. It was the complete opposite. So it took the Pirates really to about halftime to adjust to that and to come up with some other zone, um, some other running schemes that would work. And by then it was too late. So you have to have a backup plan ready to go, just like ECU may be anticipating pressure in this game from Clayton White in South Carolina. But if the Gamecocks come out and they're dropping seven and rushing four, ECU's got to be able to adjust on the fly and go with uh, something that works against that type of defense. So that's what makes the X's and O's so fascinating going into each game. You know, we don't know for sure how South Carolina is going to approach it. You would think they would come out blitzing, but maybe Clayton White is thinking, hey, we don't even need the blitz. We have a future first-round draft pick and three other guys who are going to play in the NFL. They're expecting us to blitz. We're just going to rush four and play coverage all game. Uh, and if they do that and ECU has success against, the, against that front with uh, some – some quick game or with some different types of looks or some running plays, then all of a sudden South Carolina has to adjust. So I think you'll be able to tell in the first or second series when ECU's offense is on the field, we should have a good feel for how South Carolina wants to play this thing. And with their secondary being a little sketchy, you know, they lost a lot in the secondary. Uh, their their best corner transfer, Prunty, ended up transferring out of the program in the preseason they're vulnerable on paper in the secondary. That's their one weakness. So if you're South Carolina, maybe you you want to come after ECU, but maybe you don't feel confident that your secondary can hold up against Tyler Sneed and C.J. Johnson. So a lot of chess match there. You know, going into the matchup more, I do think this is a matchup if ECU can protect, and that's a big if. If ECU can give Holt Naylor's time to throw, you know, this is a, an opportunity for the Pirates to move the ball in the air. Uh, I do think they will struggle in the run blocking phase, but I do think if they can give Holton Aylers time to throw their the receivers and the backs as receivers are good enough to do damage against South Carolina in the passing game. And we'll see if the Pirates can find a way to give Holton Aylers enough time to end up doing some damage. So that that's a big key for me going into uh into Saturday's game. All right, our final question here. See scrolling past some comments. Uh Jeep for Pirates, he at 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 Coach Mike Houston's previous stops, he has experienced progress in the win column by the same time frame as he is at now with ECU. What changes does he have to make for ECU to start getting more W's? Also, don't you think we need to not talk about the effect of the COVID year as much as as much because it is something all programs had to deal with? Uh, well, I'll tackle number two first. You know, the COVID deal, yeah, every program did have to go through it. You know, I think, though, if you're a stable program with the COVID year and an older program, you probably got through it much easier because guys, they're older, they know what to do on their own, they don't have to learn 
offense, defense, etc. ECU was such a young team, lost a year of development when they really needed it in terms of offseason work. Blake Harrell didn't get to teach his group at all over the course of an offseason, so they basically had to show up and start practicing and a month later play a game, or at least prepare that way. So didn't have time to really develop the kids that way. They really had to just jump right into the game plan. So I, I think defensively more than anything, it really hurt ECU's development. In some ways, this is almost like year one and a half for Blake Carroll in the defense. Um, you know, it, it did hurt the offense, especially the offensive line. We've gone over that. So I just think it was much easier to overcome the COVID year if you're an experienced veteran established program versus the program that's still building. I really do feel like it set ECU's rebuild back at least half a year, if not more. And that's just the reality. Look, I, I know people are tired of hearing about patience, et cetera, but you look at it like a, you know, if you're a professional major league baseball team and you're, you're in a rebuilding mode, so many of those guys in the minors did not get a minor league season in 2020. So it set a lot of the MLB teams back in terms of their rebuild. I think in some ways you have to look at it like at ECU like that. And, look, ECU still should have played better versus App State. I firmly believe that. I still think they are better than what they showed. Uh, I'm just giving you the, my counterpoint, my belief, as to why the COVID year hurt ECU more than some other programs. I think you're seeing it, too, with South Florida. You know, just it, it was so hard to be a first-year head coach last year and develop your guys through Zooms. You can't develop a culture that way, et cetera. So I think South Florida is still feeling the remnants of that in year two under Jeff Scott, which is almost like year one. So we'll see how this year transpires. I do expect this team to get better throughout the year, much like they did last year, but but time will tell. As far as your first question, you know, the previous stops and the success he experienced there, you know, it's, it's a good question. James Madison was a different deal. You know, he had elite talent for his level. He took over a program that had talent. He just needed to unify the locker room and kind of take it to the next level. And he did that immediately. You don't just waltz into a place and win a national championship at that level if you're not a damn good football coach and a damn good program builder uh, and culture changer, which he proved he was, was capable of doing. Made it back to the national championship the next year. Could have easily won that game as well. Um, you know, yeah, he did it with largely someone else's players, but he showed that he could change a locker room, change a culture, change the program's vision as a coach. You know, the Citadel, he turned things around there quickly as well. Um, was running the triple option, so probably a little bit easier to quickly overcome some talent deficiencies and not as tough of a league to, to compete in, probably, even though the Citadel had really struggled in that league for a while. Uh, so second year there, really turned it around. Lenore Ryan was the one job where it was a complete rebuild, and he was there under Fred Goldsmith, and actually they kind of rebuilt it together. Then he took over as the head coach and kind of kept that rebuild going. So that's kind of the one job you have to almost look at as similar to ECU, major rebuild. He did it, started it as an assistant, took over as a head coach, and then kept it going. So it's not like he's never been a part of a rebuild. I think this is much more of a rebuild than he maybe originally anticipated, and he's finding that out. That doesn't mean it won't be successful. I still feel like you look at the majority of the roster and the key players, they're still going to be here for two, three, four more years. And I think that bodes well for the long-term future of the program. It's just, it's tough because so many of the COVID deals with the, the returning players, as much as it helped ECU in the long-term, 
It also has hurt ECU in the short term because they're facing teams like App State and other programs on their schedule. Uh, you know, Marshall returned a couple of super seniors from the COVID year. That makes it harder to win in the short term, but long term is going to help ECU a lot. As for what Coach Houston needs to do going forward to win, you know, I think he's just got to continue to develop the roster. I know it's a boring answer, but you got to continue to grow up these guys, continue to develop them. So many of them have three to four years left, you know, in the short term, continue to adjust and tweak your schemes to better fit your current personnel. I think that's the biggest thing in terms of this year. Maybe certain guys are not ready to do certain things, so you got to find a way to combat that and not hurt your long-term game for your short-term success. You know, can this year's team be a bowl team? I, I do believe so. I think the people in the program believe so. I think they believe that they can make a lot of corrections from week one to week two, but it's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to happen, you know, in terms of ECU going from a three and four win program to an eight and nine win program overnight, you know, barring some sort of major, major turnaround, some major guys making huge leaps. So continue to progress the guys long term and in the short term, continue to tweak your schemes as much as possible without, you know, just totally overhauling everything, which isn't possible in season. But uh, there are always ways to better fit your current personnel with what you're doing, and that's up to the, the coaching staff. And then the players on their end, they've got to execute. You know, I think there are certain guys that aren't playing to their capability, and that's not always the fault of the coaches. You know, at times the guys have to put in the work, and they have to decide, hey, I want to become a really good football player and not just a, you know, a pretty good football player. So hopefully the guys continue to make that dedication. I do think the culture is to the point where now, more times than not, guys are putting in the extra work. But, you know, I still, you know, when you're out at the practice field talking to people, there are still guys who are talented that maybe don't put max effort into every rep in practice or who don't spend the extra time in the playbook, whereas others do. And, you know, there's a reason certain guys start, certain guys play the most snaps versus others that maybe don't. So um, we'll just continue to see how it evolves. It's only one game. You know, if ECU comes out this Saturday and looks completely overwhelmed in all phases, then I'll be a little more concerned. You know, I still think App is a really good football team, and I expect ECU to play much better this Saturday and have a chance to win the football game at the end of the day. You know, in terms of this game overall, what it means for the program, I do think this Saturday represents a big opportunity. South Carolina is down, and yes, it, you know, a win like this is not going to get you ranked or whatever, but I, I think this is a great chance for the Pirates to – and Mike Houston to, to record a, a potential momentum-changing victory. You know, last year's win over SMU was critical. It kind of was the first signature win ECU's had in some time. I think this would even give the program more momentum, especially since there will be actual fans in the stands, and you'll have a chance to really leave an impression on a lot of people uh, and build your team's confidence in terms of beating an SEC foe. You know, you look at ECU's history against the SEC, and – it you know it's not great but it's not terrible either. The Pirates have recorded four wins all time against the Southeastern Conference. All those four coming over South Carolina and ECU has uh, beaten the Gamecocks four times. And their last win over the SEC was in 1999 against South Carolina and Lou Holtz. The Pirates went to Columbia and beat them pretty soundly, 21 to three in the rain. And it's been a long time. Since that day, in fact, that the Pirates have recorded a win over the South Southeastern Conference, and man, just having covered and gone to a lot of these games, the Pirates have had their opportunities and then some 
They're 0-8 in their last eight against the SEC, but it's not for a lack of effort. I mean, ECU has really outplayed the majority of these teams. You look dating back to 2009 against Kentucky in the Liberty Bowl. Everybody knows the Pirates should have won that game. Gave up a couple cheap touchdowns, kickoff return for a touchdown, and then fumble return for a touchdown for the game-deciding score in the fourth quarter. The very next year, they faced Arkansas in the Liberty Bowl. There was so much Ryan Mallett hype, and then ECU's defense went out there and dominated the game. And then Ben Hartman couldn't make a field goal. That led to an overtime loss to Arkansas, 20-17. to They faced South Carolina uh, a few years later under Ruff McNeil in the Charlotte season opener. ECU led that game 17-0 and then 24-14 to at halftime. And that was against a very good South Carolina team with Steve Spurrier that was ranked, I believe, right outside the top 10. Had a very good year. Pirates were certainly capable of winning that game. Turned the ball over like three times in the early part of the third quarter and, and just things went off the rails. Uh, other times at South Carolina, you know, with Shane Carden, they played them tough in 2014. Again, left a lot of points on the field in a 10-point loss. Uh, in 2016 against South Carolina, Scotty Montgomery's third game, ECU was 2-0 coming off the NC State win. They went to Columbia and, again, dominated the yardage output, really performed well, outgained about like 200-plus yards, but turned the ball over three times inside the 10-yard line of South Carolina, which led to a 20-15 to loss, and then things went off the road from there. You also had the two Florida games, the Birmingham Bowl and the game in the swamp with Blake Camp when he fumbled trying to go back to pass when Say Jones was wide open in the end zone. For the potential game-time score. So a ton of heartbreaks against the SEC over the years is what I remember most from these type of games. You know, it's been five years since the Pirates had a shot at the Southeastern Conference. I think they've got a good opportunity this Saturday to really make some national headlines if they can find a way to win. Even if South Carolina's down, it's going to be good to have an SEC foe in Dowdy-Ficklin Stadium, a chance to really come up with an impact victory in terms of the program's momentum. So I, I do expect ECU to play play well on Saturday. I'll be surprised if they don't. As far as keys to the game, I mean, I, I think number one is obvious. Can you hold up in the trenches? Uh, South Carolina has some question marks, but one of the questions they don't really have is the defensive line. It's really good. They can get after the passer. They can stop the run. How do you combat that offensively? You know, on, when you're on defense, can you find a way to not just get mowed over in the ground game? Uh, you don't want them to be able to just turn and hand the ball off and get five, six yards a clip because then their quarterback, no matter who it is, doesn't even have to prove he can beat you. So that is a concern of mine. You know, offensively, you need your best players to rise to the occasion. We talked about it earlier. I think Holton Aylers has to have a very good game. I think Rajay Harris, Keaton Mitchell have to play well at running back. C.J. Johnson is going to have to make some one-on-one plays outside. Tyler Sneed's got to have a better week than last week. You might need a couple turnovers, even though South Carolina is likely to play a conservative. You need to keep the home crowd into the game. You know, this is going to be the most ramped-up atmosphere ECU has had in probably probably since the North Carolina game in, in 2018, even though that wasn't the best crowd in the world. That was still, a you know, the biggest crowd in the world. It was still a great crowd, and they, they energized ECU, led them to victory that day. I expect the crowd to be at a similar fever pitch on Saturday, and if ECU can get off to a good start and keep them in the game... I think the crowd has a chance to will the Pirates to victory for the first time in a long time. So, you know, really looking forward to Saturday. As far as my official prediction, much like the App State game, I've been going back and forth on this one a lot. You know, I, I had this one as a win recently in my game-by-game predictions, but I, I'm just concerned 
in the trenches, the more I read about South Carolina, the more I look at ECU's defense against the run. You know, they did not look well against the run last week. Uh, when I was out of practice earlier this week, Elijah Morris was not practicing due to an injury. I don't know if he'll be able to go or not Saturday, so that's one of your better defensive linemen who are questionable for the game. You know, if he's unable to go, it's going to be tough sledding to really stop that rushing attack. And if South Carolina can sit on the ball and do what they want, it's, it's going to be a tough day. I, but I expect this to be a dogfight. You know, if I had to make a prediction as of now, I would go South Carolina 27, ECU 24. We'll see how it transpires on Saturday. I do think if ECU can keep the crowd in the game, they'll have a shot to win it. And if they can make the plays at the end, they'll walk out with a huge victory for the program. So that'll do it for our preview and prediction podcast. Again, looking forward to this one on Saturday. It'll just be great to have a crowd inside Daddy Ficklin Stadium again. Last week in, in Bank of America Stadium was was awesome. It was a great atmosphere, even if it didn't go ECU's way. So looking forward to more of that Saturday. Hope you guys bring it. Noon kickoff. Stay hydrated. And uh, pull on the Pirates, man. They need They need some good news. Hopefully they can get it this weekend, even if I'm predicting them to lose. It's usually a good thing, you know, it didn't work out last week, but I typically get it wrong, so hopefully it's a good thing for the Pirates this week. Uh, appreciate you guys listening to the Hoist of Colors preview podcast, and also thanks for always chiming in on the, the message board with questions, comments. I know a lot of people were frustrated after the, the app game, but appreciate you guys always coming back, chiming in, and uh, you guys have a right to your opinion, as always. We will talk after the South Carolina game on Saturday. You've been listening to the Hoist of Colors podcast.